the Westwood One Podcast Network. Think about quitting. It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off. And to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their man. lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. you what, Marcus, it's becoming absolutely uncanny or coincidental or whatever kind of word is supposed to go for the description of this show today, because it seems now I don't know. I I know people out there have heard six degrees of separation from that Kevin Bacon dude, right? Great guy. Which is a loose. Oh, dude, such a good man. Footloose. <laughs> is it still the greatest movie ever, ever made? <laughs> Did you dance like that I in think high tre- school? One of the Tremors is one of the greatest movies ever made, actually. That's he was point. in yeah, Tremors? Uh, one, two, three, up to, I think, 17 19, or 18. Yeah, Tremors 19. <laughs> doesn't matter. Tremors 19? Yeah. There's so an, that's a real there's, thing. There's got to be an Iron Eagle 20-something. Remember Iron Eagle? <laughs> Iron Eagle. <laughs> he wasn't in Iron Eagle, though. No, that no, was Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, I was... Going off of what Wizard started. A franchise only matched in prestige by the Sharknado series. Holy shit. Look at that. Yeah. Where'd you come with that? Hey, somebody Kevin somebody, Bacon was not in Sharknado. Somebody said that And that's why the, uh, it's not on the level of Tremors. During Florence, <laughs> the, there was tornadoes in the, in the water picking up sharks. Did y'all hear that? Wait, hold on. What, what happened? Kevin Bacon was in... North Carolina and sharks were flying by him in the in from Florence? tornadoes from tornadoes and he's and he 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 foot loosed it <laughs> stop the storm <laughs> in that Guardians of the Galaxy I seen that <laughs> <laughs> all right I was hoping I got that right you got <laughs> it right dude anyways to go back on my point it is becoming outright ridiculous that. We have guests on this on a regular basis, on a regular frequency, that have somehow, some way, some connection to your good pal, Mark Wahlberg. And today, our guest has a connection, right? He was in Transformers 29. Another mega series. Mega franchise. Mega. How big is it? Billions. Billions, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's multiple billions. Yeah. What was the reason they canned the other dude who, who gets in all the trouble all the time? Shia oh, LaBeouf. Sure. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia, what, why did they? Why'd they what? can him? Dale a douche. Why? Come oh, on, bro. Come on. Come on. Dude, <laughs> what, what, what was happened? that? I, I liked him. I thought, I he, thought he was pretty good. Really? Sh- 
I don't okay. know. He was. I meant that I didn't know something. I, yeah, what did he do? Do you know the story on that? I, he was born. I don't like his face. Oh, God, Wizard. Tough, that's man. so hard. That coming from dude. a guy who doesn't show his face yeah, on that. <laughs> uh, but did something happened with Megan, <laughs> Megan, though, right? And that why they switched. It started with Megan, Megan Fox was the first, and first her. From, yeah, but that was an easy can. She was easy to get rid of, I think. Why? I thought that was why everybody watched that. That was oh, the only reason I watched God. it. <laughs> I thought Megan did a fabulous job. <laughs> just saying. Easy. I was All just right. saying. So my point is, dude, when you have when you have somebody that can be in the Transformers movie as well as be a Navy SEAL, as well as come from the streets of the Bronx, as well as be a, an immigrant from Nigeria, man. You could take the six degrees of Kevin Bacon and go throw it out the window because this is the cat that uh, I want to have on this the show. The, the Nigerian thing is most people say immigrated over poor. Uh, quite the opposite. That was the craziest part about it is he came from no upper hey. class, up, and then they took it away from him. And yeah. about that time, he came over, yeah. so he had to experience the streets in the fast. streets because yeah, he had no education in it. He had yeah. no nothing, man. I'm telling you what, dude. This dude when you when you when you rank him up there amongst never quit stories, I mean, it, Remy is profound, bro. I mean, profound. Look, at, look, look at all the. Oh, bro. When when the wizard gives us these sheets and they're like three pages long, I know that they're serious, dude, right? And by the way, thank you for giving <laughs> exactly. us this. It's only a breakdown right? of a little bit of how many never quit stories he has. Uh, right? All, all it's different. crazy. And wow. I got a feeling we're going to only hear a few of them, man. We're going to have to have him back on here a couple of times. Agreed. I'm not sure where exactly his never quit story is going to go or what it's going to be come from, but because there's so many different sources. Mm-hmm. Well, it's endless, man. All you got to do is go to one of those videos of him. I mean, he was on Good Morning America, the Today Show with what's her name, uh, Kathy Lee. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, his stories were sick, dude. It was sick. He's got that team guy way of, of, of explaining it now so it's totally it's good I, I love it I, I love the fact that he was so badass that michael bay was like hey why don't why don't we give you why don't we make you give you a role on this thing mm, right yeah, that never i mean to me i mean <laughs> i don't think that ever happened to any of us did it Dude, you, I, I can i say yeah. it on it can i can i speak on this yeah. on, honestly to you now about your cameo dude well, that's what it was. He got. He, I thought he got a role. Like where I gave him some lines. They yeah, no, he got a full role. Yeah. You had lines, dude. You're the one clean that. Yeah, we were just shooting the breeze though, and he filmed it. Right. And you were like, <laughs> "Now clean us, this up." So we didn't Pete. have to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Get my sad card or anything. You didn't get shit, dude. Did you? <laughs> it's had a good time. You know? Oh God, that's but, um, awesome. It was, it was a good All time. right. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell, and... Dun, 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 the Wizard. That is excellent. Thank you. Dude. I mean, coming to American music, though, when we bring Remy on. 
Dude, that's that a great soundtrack. Dude, that had a that, wow. Hey, the art have him in the fur in the with the, oh the lion head. Oh my god! <laughs> he would probably standing show up around here, a burning shitter in Iraq with a rifle. <laughs> with the with the with the with body armor yeah. on the top of a fur oh coat. Oh my god! In the hat <laughs> in the lion. Man. You know who my favorite in that movie was was uh, um, that, no. Um, uh, Arsenio Hall, yeah. when he plays, and he's in the he plays the preacher guy, right? And, the barbershop is uh, epic. Oh, but when he introduces sexual chocolate, <laughs> sexual chocolate. <laughs> oh, oh and great, the barbershop dude. guy when he's eating, guy. he's eating the barbecue. He whipped Joe Lewis's ass. <laughs> Dude, that could be one of the greatest movies yeah. ever, dude. Dude, it was on point. We need to get both Eddie Murphy and our Hall. Uh, that'd be great. Oh my god! Just just because of how they got it, uh, Charlie Murphy and the true Hollywood stories from the Chappelle Show and what you would hear about Eddie Murphy. Just that whole time, I would love to get them on and hear about it because they got us to deployment. Eddie Murphy. Oh and, my god! For humor wise, Mur- oh, that's humor wise, hilarious. Absolutely. Well. If you're a first-time listener, then stand the hell by because we're about ready to light you up with one of our best shows. I guarantee it. Can I do that? Can I offer guarantees? You can absolutely like that? guarantee that. Hey, what? I got yeah. plenty of time. I can take dump in a box, and put a guarantee on it. But all you're getting is guaranteed piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know how to take that quite. In From Tommy first. Boy. You don't remember that? He's like, is it yeah. guaranteed? Because they like the guarantees. Like, tell you what, I got plenty of time on my hands to take a dump in a box, drop a guarantee on it, but all you get is a guaranteed piece of shit. He's like, what are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you that. <laughs> I don't even know what That's to the only say one I next. I remember that, but it was hilarious. Oh, my God. I made his first sell. So, so there ahead. you go. There's my guarantee coming to fruition right now for all the new listeners. Thank you for joining us. For all the repeat offenders out there, God bless you. We love you. Because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we do day in and day out. And, bro, we are coming up. We're getting what? We're closing in on 7 million now. 7 million. We We are closing in on 7 million downloads, Marcus. Is that crazy or what? We can't thank y'all enough. It's unbelievable, truly. That's massive, bro. And and what's even not crazy? Listeners, right? It's a team we're building here. Everybody's wow. connected by that whole and man, that's amazing. Thank the you. greatest, the greatest example of that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Wizard, but is the fact that we have had so many listeners write in to on our website on tnqpodcast.com to write in their greatest never quit stories. And how many pages do we have now? How many? I don't even know. It's, it's hundreds now. I mean, there are people from literally all walks of life. Every if, if you're dealing with something, you can probably go on there and find someone who is who has gone through it in the same way as as, as you are right now. That is what is the most yeah. important thing for me, Marcus. And that's the catalog. that's the original idea you had yep. when you came up with Team Never Quit, isn't it? That we could create a space that we could bring together people in their struggles, in their pain that we talk about all the time, and create a space and a place, a collective of people that all recognize that the never quit mindset is inside all of us. You just need a little bit of push to discover it, right? Uh, Best way to start a team and a family, man. You strip away money and houses and cars and everything like that, and we started from when we were all in the ditch in the worst time of our life. 
and we were going to all relate to it in some form or fashion. And then just, we started pushing from there and, that, and that's how I, it's grown that way. And that's why it keeps growing. Amen. And then those listeners and everybody that comes on the show and not tells, tells about their problem, but tells how they get through it. I learn more from them than, I mean, it's every it's day, every day. Well, what I love too, is just, you know, we're starting to see we had a really successful time and transition and moving through our hundred show. And, and mm-hmm. now what we saw, we just recently, we had this masses ex- exponential growth through the help of, of Sean Ryan and us starting our, our, our own YouTube channel. Now all the videos are up there. So not only go check us out and all our shows on tnqpodcast.com, but now you can go to YouTube and type in Team Never Quit Podcast. We've got our own channel, and we're putting up video of our ugly mugs. I don't know whose idea that was. I think the, that was uh, a the wizard. before the fall. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Great while it lasted. Now, when they get peeked behind the curtain, that's when it's... Now we're sliding downhill, right? <laughs> We're gonna actually, it all go wrong. We're going to actually have to do some footloose dances and shit <laughs> right. to keep that going, I think. But no, it's crazy. Just in a few short weeks, Wizard was telling me we had over three, three million minutes watched and only a few videos. Yeah, they like, give you this metric on there that is, is just blew my mind when I saw only like a week and a half in, we were close to Three million minutes had been watched, which is somewhere around like maybe seven years or eight years of of minutes, and that just blew my mind that people were. And not much blows your mind oh. either. I got to admit, my, I like pretty much everything blows my mind. But for the wizard, he's got to be. He's got to take a look at six years of YouTube videos watching. Hard You're in data. my ugly face. <laughs> <laughs> Stunning. So. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on our website. And also, you can follow along. You can follow Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, me at Team Frog Logic. You can follow the wizard at the wizard. Just check him out there, which is still remarkable that you're still post. You've actually been posting <laughs> some shit, too. I'm, I'm impressed, brother. Every now and then, I'm seeing the glimmers in the value of it. Come on, glimmers man. of value, I should yeah, say. I'm come seeing on. glimmers of value. You are a warrior against the negative insurgency, brother, and you've got to post out some positive stuff that's going to inspire yeah, people. Yeah, man, you're the wizard. You're the behind the, the curtain. Wizard. You're supposed to be. I mean, we're on the road. We're out here with the wicked witch man on the road trying to get to Oz, brother. <laughs> you need to throw out some wisdom. Oh, we're selfish. <laughs> that was bizarre. <laughs> Listen, before we go down any more yellow brick roads or rabbit holes or whatever the hell, can you please introduce Remy to our listeners? Yes, Remy Adelaki. So former U.S. Navy SEAL, evangelist, actor, entrepreneur, speaker. His story really kind of starts in Nigeria. Him, his brother, his mother, and his father. Now, his father in 1987, I guess they were a very wealthy family over there. His father dies, um, not exactly sure how, but this leads to them losing all of their wealth. So his mother brings he and his brother to New York and starting over, you know, right there. He grows, he grows up in the Bronx, which at the time, at least, that was a, a rough neighborhood to come up in. Something interesting is uh, Michael Bay, the movie, uh, the movie director, gets, is involved in his story here. And the first time it comes up, he says that um, they would go to the movies once a month, apparently. 
and this had a big impact on him. He saw the movie Bad Boys uh, with bad Will boys, Smith. Bad and boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Did you Nobody knows the words to that song. That's what I was waiting for you to get to. Martin Lawrence Day is like, So what you're saying is I'd be I'd be the Martin Lawrence guy. And you're Will Smith? No, no, is that you dress, no you definitely no, will. No, you're the Will Smith. I'm the Martin dress. Lawrence guy. All right, fine. All right, go. <laughs> Sorry. Did we sort That's that right. out? No, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Go ahead. Anyways, this fine film opened his eyes to the fact that he could be more than just a street thug. He said uh, there were, they were everyday guys trying to go out and save people. So this turned a light on in his head. And then he said he saw another one called The Rock, which is the, his first introduction uh. to Navy SEALs. Oh, dude. You know, I said that really planted a seed that later blossomed into what I became. Let's give a moment of silence. How awesome he was in that. Dude, he was amazing. Did you have him as first phase instructor? Oh, man. So there have only been what? I I think we're only in 50s African-American SEALs, right? There have not been a lot in the history of of the teams. And so was just this larger in life. I mean, he was huge, like short and like, you know, spark plug. And he would come out and he'd be like, y'all think you're bad. You don't know what bad is. I'm going to be so bad. on your bad. And, and it was like this. Like a was, Mr. T character. He was like Mr. T, dude. I <laughs> was swear a Mr. to T God. Frog man. He was a Mr. T frog man. Uh-huh. And he brought the pain. And hey, he, the headband. Head, I'm oh, sorry, Wizard. God. Sorry, Wizard. We got to give props where props are due. That's all right. So these movies had a huge impact on him. And coming from years of running the streets, stealing, hustling, hustling fight, uh, fighting, selling drugs, in, in, in his words, this he decided to make a change in his life. He needed to get out of this world, this environment, and he decides to join the military. He says, I gave up street life for six months, and then I joined the military. Um, even though he, at the time, did not know how to swim, and he had very low ASVAB scores, goes into the Navy. He's in the, in, the, in the fleet for a while, and then in 2007, he graduates from BUDS. He does a couple deployments there on the West Coast, and... And in 13, uh, 2013, he decides to leave active duty because he is called by God to move on. Praise so there's, the Lord. A, there's a lot to that story right there. And um, his faith plays a huge role in uh, his mission in life now and what is out there about him. So I think we're going to let him you know, get into that and, t- and talk to that point more. He has a, um, a book coming out in January called Transformed. And um, he lives in his, he lives, currently lives in Southern California with his wife, and he's soon to have three. He has two. He's going to have one more uh, son on the way. Epic. What so, do you say? That's it. Dude, do right you up. know the Transformers theme? Let's just make one up with Mark. We'll, we'll use in Mark's name. Ba-ba. Wouldn't it be great to be pain-free? You know, feel like you used to feel. BioWave is the life-changing, non-opioid, effective way to block chronic and acute pain. In fact, 85% of people who use BioWave experience significant reduction in pain from just one 30-minute treatment. 
proven effective over 15 years used by more than 80 VAs, active military, SEAL teams, and most NFL, NBA, and MLB teams. BioWave is VVA, recognized, VA prescribed, FDA cleared, and made in America. If you're a veteran or active military or someone you love needs safe, non-opioid, and effective health managing pain, please go to BioWave.com and learn how to get treatment at no cost. Visit BioWave.com to read amazing testimonials from veterans and active military. BioWave is designed to block pain at the source and is like nothing you've ever tried before. BioWave.com, smarter pain blocking technology. Marcus! 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 Let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you something. It's been a little while since we've been out at the ranch, and I've been bottling this stuff up for months, brother. Mm. And I knew I wanted to start this session, this recording session. What session is it again, wizard? 14. 14. Recording session 14. I wanted to go deep. I wanted to get someone on here that was walking the way, that was, that was, that was carrying that cross up high on their shoulder and that could deliver something to our fans, to our listeners that was so (laughs) infinitely deep, that was borderline omnipotent. That, I'm telling you, will transform human lives. And he's here, dude. Now, when you came in with, you're about a, a little over a month early with Beast Mode. You're way <laughs> ahead. So I figured, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you spun up. I, I can only imagine who was coming on first and right out of the deck, right? Yeah, one of our own. Dude, we have <laughs> to have. That's, uh, I mean, it's a given, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I knew we were going that direction. And in the most incredible aspect about it, and as I've gone back and I've, you know, I, we, I watched all of his videos. I, I, I'm a bit, you know, he works with a buddy of mine, Jeff Bramstead. No, you can tell and, me a buddy of his, right? Well, Can't be a buddy of I didn't know you knew Bram, dude. Did you Everybody does. He's uh, well, one, like, one of the guys in the teens where no one has anything bad to say about him. <laughs> My, Never have uh, <laughs> like, like three dudes like that. <laughs> my bad, my bad. And the fact that Remy and he are are connected in their path, plus Remy's out there, you know, he is cutting path in a way that most other people can't do because they can't carry the burden, right? But he can. So, Marcus, wizard, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast, Mr. Remy Adelaide. What's up, what's up, fellas? Good to be here. Dave, thanks for having me. Marcus, appreciate it. I'm ready to jump in. Let's do this, man. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Sir. Thank you again for doing this. Seriously. Awesome. Listen, I know... You know, you're overseas right now, and so you've been working your butt off all day. So we're going to get you warmed up, right? We're, we're, we're going to get that prefrontal cortex all limbered up. We're going to get your mind going. We're going to get it racing. We're going to get you dialed. Just in time for bed. Just in time for bed. We're going to make it so you can't sleep at all tonight. tonight. <laughs> all right. So, Remy, we're going to start the show off with this thing called we a, Ma- a Mad Minute. Now, I'm sure you've done Mad Minutes downrange before. You've been involved in certain kind of high-stress Mad Minutes. But this one, this one is a mind-bender. This one's going to put your mind in a pretzel, I promise. So, are you ready for the most... 
challenging questions you've ever been asked in your entire life? A hundred percent. Always ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Marcus, fire away. All right, but if all jobs paid the same, what would you be doing? Ooh. Right now? Hmm. I should have put a timeline on that, I guess. That's a great question. Uh, uh, be a frogman, dude. I mean, being a frogman was the greatest job I had. I mean, it, it was the greatest job. It, it transformed my life. Um, it allowed me to do things that I never in my life thought I would ever be able to do. It was one of the greatest blessings outside of my, my kids. So it would always be a frogman. That's I cool. never worried about money. I, never, I didn't really pay attention to it either. either. So that's, yeah, it answers itself, really. If you think back in the jobs you always had oh, growing bro, up. $32,000 a year after eight years in the teams. Yeah, <laughs> E5, Corbin, I made $32,000 a year, man. I didn't give a shit. That's why when I got out of the teams, I was $10,000 in debt. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, what, what do you mean I got to pay for dental? <laughs> <laughs> All right, wizard, wizard, second question, go. Oh, my. All right. Uh, assuming a zombie apocalypse is inevitable, who are three people that you must have on your team and why? This wizard and Dave. Boys, right now, let's get the guns and roll out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. All right, my question. If you could go back in time and fight for something, Right? Fight for something you believe in most. What would it be and when? Good question. Thanks, buddy. Uh it would be it would be 2007 and uh it would be the way I treated people. Oh, bless because your heart. 2006, 2007, I'm ready to hit my bottom and I treated people like trash. I treated women like garbage. I was just a, I was just a reckless, reckless guy. And so I would go back and fight to change the way I treated people, especially the ones closest to me. Like my mom, I treated my mom like garbage, my brother. So, so that's what I would go back and fight for. You know what? That's mm. a, that's an awesome answer right there. I, I, well, I feel you too. When I, when I was in the teams, I, I had a moral ambiguity that, uh, that uh, challenged me as well, and and I, I know when I'm at the standing at the gates, I'm gonna have to atone for that time, and and uh, I spend a lot of time trying to make it up now myself. Okay, so I, I got that one figured out. Whether we're standing down low at, at Hades or up top, remember the the joke with the instructors like, "Hey, what what happens on deployment stays on deployment." You never heard that joke that team yeah, guys yeah. they let the team guys in there. So what we do and and that that perspective. It's like we always talk about, and never, never completely closed him out. I just stepped to the side a little bit. Don't look at me while I'm doing this. Well, I yeah, I I I agree wholeheartedly on that. It's just also some of the culture is what I'm saying. Not so much the operational. It was the culture, the mindset, and treating people, trying to be bigger than you know the bravado of the team guy. I mean, there were many it, it times. It consumes you, man. Each yeah. That's why we can do what we do. And the more you're, if you're not married and the more you're into it, the more you are into it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's all I can say because I, <laughs> I was into it. Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> all right, wizard. All right, you've got kids. So if you were the U.S. Secretary of Education, what's one topic that you'd add to school curriculum? What's one that you would throw out? Ooh, good question. Well, I would throw out a lot of a lot of the, like trigonometry, 
<laughs> okay. Because we don't oh, need trigonometry. We're dropping math that we never use. I would keep, you know, you know, adding multiplication, that kind of stuff, because we need that for our banking. But um, and one thing I would add, um, man, I would add a course where where the students and this obviously this is just a dream get, get to travel to places like Iraq, like Afghanistan, like Syria, like Africa, Nigeria, mm-hmm. a place where I was born, so that they can actually see and wow. learn through experience. Mm-hmm. Because uh, as you guys know, we get so many kids in college who they have that college education, but they never had that life experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas guys like us, we've been to some of the darkest on the face of the planet. And we not only do we have the education, but we could speak to certain situations because we we have a wide range of experiences. So I would I would create some type of class, some type of format where students are immersed in other cultures and not just learning it uh, in a classroom, but immersed in some other way. I love That's it. That's a fantastic answer. I love it. We need to get Secretary of Education on the phone right now and, and let's make that <laughs> Gain happen. some perspective. Right? All right. Yeah. All right. What was your pre-mission routine? What song did you listen to? What order did you put your kid on? You know, give me that pre-mission routine. Yeah, so I would uh, I would put on Lecrae. I, I got into um, gospel hip hop at the time, so I went like you know earlier, and so I would put on Lecrae, listen to some of that, and then I would uh, I would get my gear on. Um, put on my, obviously me pants, socks, boots, <laughs> um, get my kit, check my, check my, check, check my primary, check my secondary. Um, and then I would, I would, I would kneel down with the Bible, um, go over a few scriptures. There was one scripture in particular in Psalms that I would, but I go over that scripture. And then after that, I would, you know, say a prayer and head out the door and, you know, do what we do. Amen. Amen, um, dude. That's awesome. It was funny when I, my, my only combat trip with the with the teams man i there were two guys in my platoon this guy monty and this guy jc and they would re- get in that bible and they would read it man and and every time i'd look and i'd and i'd be like man that seems like the coolest way to go put it all on the line knowing that the lord's in your heart that it that fully you know and and that's something i regretted not having sooner in my career well i i did the same thing i would rewrite the, you know, the boondock saints prayer and and so at the end of the brief i had I'd, I'd pull those out and i'd put that team guy spin on it right linking it up a little bit yeah. everybody's st- we that guy got from team three he was sitting in medical that time and, and i walked in right before and <clears throat> kind of looked at him i was like hey brother what's going on my man i never get a look on his face this is right before we were heading over. I was like, hey, you got any? I'm taking my oh, yeah. student over there. You got any advice? I'm ripping you guys out. He just looked over at me and said, pray. That's heavy. That's all I said. That's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hell, man. <laughs> From day one. Yeah, that was hell. That's wild. And so you guys as platoons, you did a conscious prayer together? Oh, yeah. Every time, everybody stood up, man. It was, it was that warrior. Like I said, I put the spin on it, and there are no atheists in a foxhole. You know nah, that, yeah. We, but we had more deep conversations after one of them kind of draggers. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm talking about than anything. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, we did our platoon. 
at Team Three, we did this with the whole platoon would come out. It wasn't anything forced. It was just like the guys that want to come together and we get in a circle. And and uh, I was a lay leader, so I would lead the prayer. So it was, it was pretty cool. Mm. Had you ever mm. done anything like that before in your life, where you you were the focal point of of the prayer? No, 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 not at all. I think I think my platoon chief he he knew I was you know he knew I he, he would see me reading the Bible, see me praying during, during workup and stuff. So he said, "Hey, Remy, how about you lead it? I see you doing this all the time on your own." So so that's kind of how I got into it. That's cool. And all the stories of military history, the TV shows you watch, there's always the one guy in the platoon. We don't go anywhere without one of them. You know, talk, oh, everybody tough, sure. as tough as you tough as you want, but then they're like, "All right, where's where's the faith?" All right, yeah. get over here and start spreading the good word. <laughs> well, for me, it was always like, anyways, we're going down a rabbit hole. Let's let's we'll get into that in a little bit. Marcus, why don't you hit Remy with the last question on the Mad Minute? All right, brother, if you could call yourself in thirty years, what would be the one question you ask yourself? I would I would ask, did any of my did any of my sons? Because I have two sons now and a third on the way. Did any of them become a frogman? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got three of them. That's that that three number. You're gonna have one of them. Probably that yeah, middle child, yeah, right? My, she just found out we, she was pregnant with our third boy, and I was like, one of them's got to be a team guy. Got. <laughs> You're gonna have a team guy, a preacher, and and a NASA engineer, right? That's what congratulations, man. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations, hey, Remy. Thank you. I beat the frogman. You did. You did. <laughs> I got. I got. I, I got hit. I have a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I got two. <laughs> how, you, how you duck that? Especially being a combat frog, man. All the all got daughters. Yep. Yep. All right, wizard. What was that? Was that the mad? I got ten. I got eleven minutes. That that was uh, eleven minutes and thirteen seconds. Ele- that was the mad eleven minute and thirteen seconds. All right, awesome answers. But as, as we chatted a little bit before we came on, the reason why the three of us wanted to do this show is because with all of our travels and all the different places we've been and you know all the different audiences we've been in front we've been front of we we've come to realize there's a need there's a need out there and people are are, are desperate for some information that's going to change their lives there's information that's going to create that spark right the, the to ignite the fire in their guts that's why people come here to the Team Never Quit podcast. So, Remy, without further ado, would you please share your greatest never quit story or stories with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so the first one I would share it has to do with 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 me getting out of the Bronx. Um, and, 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 and this, and this might be a bit contradictory because this has to do with quitting, but I think quitting in a good way, um, growing up without a father, I, uh, I tried to find a father in so many things in culture in music, in the streets and the people I hung out, hung out around. And, uh, by the time I was in my teen years, um, I became everything that I watched. I became everything that I heard and wow. it was so immersed with me that I couldn't see anything else. I, I, I never 
thought that I would make it out of the Bronx. Like literally, it was like, and a lot of kids that come from where I come from, getting out is, is, is unrealistic. It's like a far-fetched dream. And so I didn't see that for myself. I didn't see success for myself. I didn't see the military for myself. As a matter of fact, I hated the military because I hated anybody in a uniform. Um, I, I just couldn't see it. And then, and then one day I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer that went really, really bad. Um, I ended up owing him a, a large amount of money. And uh, he came to my house and essentially, well, not my house. He came to my mom's apartment where I lived and, and essentially threatened me in my mom's apartment and said, if you don't have my money by this time, things are not going to go too well for you. Knowing him and his background and knowing the area that I was in, I knew that that meant that he was going to kill me. And that wow. was just the reality of it if I didn't give him his money. And so, I, I, you know, I didn't quit. I went out into the streets. I made him the money that I needed to make him in a day. And then after that, I made a decision. I'm going to quit this life. I made a decision that, you know what, Remy, if you keep down this path, things are not going to go too well for you. I mean, you're going to either end up dead or in prison. And you got to understand for a person with the, with the mentality that I had, quitting that life was, it was hard. It was hard to give that up because that's all I ever knew from the time I was like, you know, seven, eight, nine and started searching for a father. Um, so for six months, I, I did the best that I could do. And, and, and I pretty much stayed home for six months and did absolutely nothing. And then and then June of 2002 came. And long story short, I was laying in my bed and, and I heard this voice tell me, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of New York. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to get out of New York? Right. I'm going to go to Bronx. And uh, and that voice said to me, you know, the military and it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was just like the military one. I, I, I like my clothes bag. I like my hats backwards. I still wear it backwards. <laughs> and I, and I don't like authority at all. So I can't do that. But after a while of sitting in my room, I, I looked around in the room and I said to myself, what else do you have left? You have nothing else left. You've tried everything else on your own and nothing has worked. And so uh, I got out of my bed and, I ran down the street that I grew up on, which was Fordham Road. And, and it was in that moment I made the decision that I was going to leave this life. I was going to firmly, you know, six months early, I, I made the decision to give it up. But I knew that by me joining the military, that was going to really push me out of the environment that I was in. And so anyway, I ran down the street, you know, went to the recruiter's office. Uh, and thank God I ran into recruiter I ran into because she ran my background and found out I had two warrants out for my arrest. I had a warrant in New York and I had a warrant in New Jersey. And in that moment when she ran my background and told me what, what I had had, I was just like, oh my God, like <laughs> right. military now go to jail. Uh, and so uh, anyway, she advocated on my behalf, took me to the judges and, 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 and did some, some, some work on her end to kind of, you know, fudge the paperwork so I can get in. But but I would say that that's that's my big my greatest never quit oh. story is is actually it, it, it involved quitting it involved making the decision to quit bumping my head over and over and over and over again you know and I think sometimes that's the hardest thing for people is is to get out of that routine break out of that mold because they feel like there is no way there is no hope in reality there always is a way the, the issue is that sometimes we just don't want to see that way and I didn't want to see that way out. But I think, it, but if I didn't take that way out, I wouldn't be here with you guys. There would be no teams. There would, my wife wouldn't be in my life. My kids, I want to have. So, 
don't know if that made sense, but but my no, my, well, my great look at it like, man, you can't look at it like that's quitting that part because at that age we we transition to our different life anyways. We're growing into a different part, uh, growing into a man, and when you maxed out that part of it, you know. Yeah. Most people go through school, like high school, that boom, that's when you know you're supposed to bail out. College, boom, that's when you know you're supposed to bail out. But if you're not in that world and you're in the world on the streets where you're where you're learning your street smarts and getting your education like that, that it's not a degree or a piece of paper that tells you well, it can be a piece of paper, like a warrant. I had one of them too. That was a good yeah. time. So you know when you max out in that area when everything starts uh getting repetitive in a bad way in our world, right? So then you have to just bounce yeah. out and go. So you didn't quit, man, you just graduated. Well, it's let me. It's interesting because when you look at and you know when I, I when I w- did my eighteen Delta rotations, we did it in New York City, and I spent a lot of time in the Bronx, and I became privy to a lot of the statistics for inner city African American youth. And you know, yeah. once you get one, you know, uh, indictment under eighteen you know, the probability of doing hard time is almost 85 to 95%. You're going to do hard time. Mm -hmm. So my, with that type of behavioralism that had been ingrained with that type of, of struggle, that was, you were so preconditioned for you. You talk about the recognition of, you know, I knew I needed to quit. Well, what, where was that coming from? Was it the rep repetition of, of your mom going, you're going to, your life's going to end. Was it a friend? Was it, uh, uh, was it what, where was the influence that started the belief process that you, that you like, I think I can do this. What was it? That was the igniter. It was my mom. It was my mom. Hands down. My mom is, a, my mom is a beast. Um, by the way, she does the best push-ups out of anybody on the internet, hands down. Big, I love your mom on the internet. Yeah, she's sixty-six. She, uh, when my father died, so my father was a, was a millionaire, and uh, we were very wealthy in Africa before he died. And and when he died, well, right before he died, the Nigerian government stripped our family of everything. Wow! And so we went from rich to poor within days and my dad died right in the middle of that transition within oh days my. Um, my mom she could have quit she could have you know she could have tried to find another guy to marry up really quick in order to figure out a way to feed two boys but she decided i am going to make a way where there is no way and and you know she she really she really modeled for me every single day of, of, of her life, perseverance and resilience. And one thing that my mom would always tell my brother and I is you guys, do you know where you guys come from? Do you know who your father was? Do you know what your name means? Adeleke, my last name is Yoruba. It means the crown is a buck. Wow. She said, you come guilty within Nigeria. So you cannot be running around these streets like a bunch of fools. <laughs> when I would make mistakes or get caught up in the things I got caught up in, she would get in my face and she would remind me. And so that's kind of after hearing it from her, you know, I had two voices and I talk about this in my book. I talk about the, the war that took place between between my mother and, and, and what was my adopted father in a sense to who, who I chose to be my father. And, 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 and my mother's voice was always there. The streets, all that other stuff that was there, too. And so when I when I finally came to that point, it was my mom's voice that prevailed, essentially. Wow. 
the angel. Now, and that was my second part that I wanted to talk about. Can you describe that voice you heard? Can you describe the tone, the intensity, the the verbiage that you heard in your head that was powerful enough? Because I, you know, feeling connected when you when you when you've lost a parent, when you know, when you when you, especially a father figure, and you're on the street, you know, that connection, you know, is is essential for our development as man, as men. And what did that voice? How heavy was it for it to get you? To change completely. Uh, when it came to joining the military, yeah. Then, or uh, yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't intense at all. It was a small, still voice. At, at, at that time, I thought it was my subconscious. It was that small and that still. Um, uh, but in retrospect, I truly believe that it was a voice of God. But but it Amen. was a small, still. It wasn't. It wasn't overly persuasive. It wasn't like this. This overwhelming voice that was like you need to do it was just all still voice and and um yeah and 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 that's what essentially kind of began to plant that seed within me to get out but it wasn't it wasn't overbearing in any way oh all right all right so it's funny how sometimes right marcus it's those smallest littlest things that become the most profound right and also the, the interference, just life noise, right? Depending on the world, if you're in, especially if you're in the wrong, in the wrong one, or finishing up another, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't come in like that, right? And that's why we got willpower. Yeah. You got to have the will to look in a different direction and, and shift your focus. So it makes you a good team guy, right? We're all that same way. All of a sudden, he's like, it could be screaming right here, right in front of your face. It's just like, huh. Oh, here's, 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 you gotta get smacked by like okay, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I got it, <laughs> Jack Roger. And then when you meet all your boys and you see the, it's when you're gonna get around each other and you understand, you're like, yeah, I made the right choice for sure. Can you talk about that next never quit moment? Because you'd you'd said you had a few. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. My my next one, I, I kind of talk about this in my book, but uh, uh, when I was in Static Line Jump School, um, <laughs> on my second jump. <laughs> I can jump. I jumped out. Uh, I was second. I was the second guy in my stick, and uh, I felt for some reason I was I was heavier than the guy, the first guy who was out, and so I fell past the first guy. So, but I didn't know that because you know how you jump out and just 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 parachutes everywhere. Um, and and when when I got probably about five hundred feet off the ground, the uh, DZO commander we all had on Motorola radios. He started saying, you know, number two guy turned into the wind. Number two guy turned into the wind. And uh, I was already in the wind, so I didn't real I didn't know who he was talking to. I'm thinking like. I'm number two guy. I'm already in the wind. I'm already pulled over, sir. We can't pull over any further. <laughs> I'm already in the wind. And, 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 and so I, I was like, I'm not going to pay him any mind. So as I got closer to the ground, he starts screaming frantically into the radio. Number two guy, you need to turn into the wind now. And I was like, maybe he knows something. I don't know. This is my second jump. Uh, I later found out again that he was actually talking to the number one guy who had become the number two guy from his perspective. And I was now the number one guy. So, you know, it being my second jump and, and, you know, having this mindset of this guy knows better than I do. I start turning that, I start pulling down on that yeah. tar, tar, ripping that right. <laughs> 
And as I start pulling and pulling, the, the, the parachute starts turning and turning. And the winds got so high that this ended up being the last jump of the day. The, the winds were so, so high. And so I, so I turned. And as soon as I turned, the wind just my back was it was not in the, I was not in the wind now the wind was at my back now and I just my speed picks up rapidly and I get oh, a, I get a huge gust of wind and I'm I'm not burning into the point of death but I'm coming in really really hot and uh, I said to myself I said I know I'm not going to die but I'm going to break something and as soon as I hit the ground I heard my right ankle snap crackle and literally pop it was oh, a massive man and uh, being a corpsman I knew it was broken I knew I broke something <laughs> and I got up and, and, and I started, you know, limping towards limping towards the check-in station. And as I limped there, I made, I was just like, dude, I, I need to do these last two jumps. Because <laughs> who's to say that I heal up and then, you know, end up coming back to static line <laughs> and, 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 and breaking uh-huh. it on the second jump again. Right. And so I, I stopped limping and I started walking. But every step I felt the bone slip and shift and... and, and, oh. and, and so I get into the check-in mm. station and, and, the, and the medic, she wasn't a corpsman. She was like a contractor and she, uh, she's wrong why my left ankle. That was my right ankle that had exploded. But I told her, I think I sprained my left ankle. So she says to me, all right, well, take your left boot off. So I take my left boot off and I was like, if she's a good medic, she's going to tell me to take off my right. If she's a bad medic, she's just going to have me keep my left off and not compare. So I just take off my left boot and she's like, oh, yeah, I see there's some minimal swelling, but you're good to go to keep jumping. And I'm like, yes, I get to do these last jumps. So anyway, I jump on a bus. I tell my class, tell the guys in my class, I'm like, hey, guys, listen, I broke my freaking ankle. It's done. Um, I need you guys to help me hide this thing so I can finish my last two jumps. And I thought that we were going to have our third jump that day. But anyway, we get in the bus and we get back to the uh, we get back to the to the, the staging place. And uh, as soon as we get there, the instructor say, hey, the winds are way too high. You guys are not jumping for the rest of the day. I was uh, like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Next 24 is going to suck. So. Uh, so anyway, I go back. Uh, I go back to my house and go crawl around and, and get up the next morning. And when I get back, uh, they have the boxes set up to do PLFs. Um, practice. Of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I, I climb, I climb up. My, my classmates tried to hide me. You know, team guys are like, let's hide Remy, let's hide Remy. But uh, that didn't work because I was the only black guy in my class. Right? <laughs> 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 they hide anywhere. So, uh, so I get up to the to the PLF box and I jump off and the, I mean the pain was excruciating. Uh, the bone slipped and, and moved all over the place. And the instructors were like, "Hey, you didn't land on both feet. Do it again." They, these guys had me do it about five times until the medic runs up and she's like, "He sprained his left ankle. Why are you guys having him jump? No, he's good. Just let him do the jumps. Don't have him do the PLF." So I was like, "Where were you the last freaking right?" Exactly. <laughs> But but anyway, I you know I pushed through. I did my third jump, uh, P- PLF on my ankle, smashed it up even more. Uh, and then I did my fourth jump. And, and right before I did my fourth jump, I remember I was uh, I was in a plane and I was going up, and and I had my head down because I was super depressed. I was just like, this is gonna suck. I'm gonna get pulled out of class. There's so many good dudes in this class. You know, I, my ankle's a mess. Like, I'm not going to graduate on time. And I was just, I'm just falling into depression. And I remember there was a team guy in front of me and, and great dude. And he slaps my helmet. And he, he says, Remy, get your freaking head up. He was like, stop feeling sorry for yourself. I know, I know, I know your ankle's broken. Everybody else knows that your ankle's broken, but dude, you're a frog man. 
We're frogmen. This is what we do. We do the hard jobs that no one wants to do. We do the jobs that suck. Even when we have an injury or even when we're going through something, we still do it. So you need to man up and jump out of that plane like the frogman that you are. And when he said that to me, like, I just felt this boost of motivation just just zap through my entire body. And I was like, yeah, dude, you're freaking right. And hmm. I did that last jump. And and and, and, <laughs> and when I hit the ground, I, I limped this time. And I remember the uh, DZO commander came, you know, driving up. He, he was in, on a four by four and he drove up to me. He's like, why aren't you running? Because, you know, you're supposed to run to, to check. Yeah, it. I said, right. Because I broke. I was like, I broke my effing ankle. Now take me to the F and I got my certificate and I graduated and uh, I never had, I never did a static line uh, ground jump ever again. Oh, God bless you for that. (laughs) That's That's awesome. So one of the uh, interesting things that, you know, you, you, we all have those stories of, of, of the various aspects of pain in our life. Right. And, and we go through these pivotal moments where we're tested mm-hmm. and whether or not we can endure the pain of a broken ankle, whether or not we can endure the mental pain of, of changing and letting go of a particular negative, negative aspect of our culture. What mm-hmm. I'm interested in understanding is you talked about in the mad minute, you talked about that sense of, of, spiritual awakening that spiritual pain if i could go back in time in 2007 and 2006 and i could chant talk myself and 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 fight for what was right spiritually can you walk us through that and that recognition that that needs to happen in order for you to become the man you ultimately want to become to become the father, to become the influencer, to have the impact. You know, you, you quote a, a, a comment from Paul a lot and a lot of the things I see about you on the internet. Ha, talk, walk us through that evolution, through that desire to, to go back and right those wrongs. So uh, it was a combination of things. Um, uh, one, in 2006, as I said, I was, I was very reckless. I was just all over the place. Um, it was one thing in my life, when I look back on my life, when things start to go well for me, that's when I began to, I began to make dumb decisions. And, uh, I was getting, I was 2006, 2007, I was getting ready to graduate buds. And, um, I I was at the top. I mean, I was at the top, you know, I, I, I was full of pride. I was just like, you know, I came from, I came from, went from Africa to the Bronx. I made it through the Bronx, and now I'm about to become a Navy SEAL. It's like no one can't tell me anything. Pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was just like one of those things, like what can anybody tell me? Great journey. Uh, and so um, uh, I got involved in a relationship with a girl, and um, and she was she was amazing. I mean, she, she was, I mean, she was, she was amazing. And, and, and despite the way she was, I treated her like garbage and, um, emotionally abused her, uh, uh, verbally abused her. And when I broke, as a matter of fact, when I broke my ankle, um, for, for, for like four months, I couldn't, about three and a half months, I couldn't walk. And she would, she would come to my house, cook my food, clean my house. I mean, she would do all kinds of things for me. And and even and while she was serving me the way she was, I still emotionally abused her, wow. verbally abused. Her. I was so angry that I was just like putting all of my anger and frustration out on her. And she would still show up every single day. 
And, uh, and, and in retrospect, when I look back on it, I truly believe that what was happening was, was God was showing his love for me, despite the way I treated him through this girl, because this girl was loving me and I was just pushing her aside and, and abusing her. Um, and then, you know, when I was able to walk, when I was finally able to walk again, I uh, made the decision I was going to leave her. I was just like, you know what? I'm a frog man. Like, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be tied down anymore. Body. I want to be down in gas lamp with the girls. Like, and I remember when I broke up with her, I remember she fell on the floor of my apartment and she just started crying. She was just like, how could you do this to me? I've given up. Her parents didn't want to have anything to do with me. And she was like, my parents didn't want me to have anything to do with you. And, and, and I've given them up and I've given up all of these things for you when you're doing this to me now. And, and I just remember I said, you know, when are you going to leave? Get off the floor and, and get out of my apartment. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and, she, and she left the apartment. And uh, a, few, a few weeks later, I was just like, man, like I need to essentially give her another shot. You know, I need to, you know, she was so good to me. And, um, and I did, and we got back into a relationship, but I, I was still the same person after about two weeks. And then I got sent to Kodiak, Alaska for cold weather training awesome. and when I was in Kodiak, Alaska. Uh, yeah. When I was out in Kodiak, Alaska, I was in this wilderness and it was, you know, as you guys know, we had to do, I had to do the land navigation hikes. And and around because we were all spread out. I got in class and we were all spread out at these different points. So I was literally on my own for day, for, you know, for, for you know, day two days, depending on what the land address was. And I just remember, just it was like somebody held up a mirror. That's that's the best way I can explain it. It was as though as I was walking through nature, I was able to truly reflect on my life. Wow. And I truly believe that it was supernatural. I truly believe that God had put me in that place to hold up a proverbial mirror. And as I began to walk through and reflect on my life, I, I began to see how I treated my mom. I began to see how I treated my brother. I began to see how I treated this girl. And I, I got, I didn't get physically sick, but I got, I got spiritually sick. I, I got so sick that I was, I said to myself, as I was doing these land navigation hikes, how could I have treated people the way I've treated them. How can I have done that to this girl? How can I do this to my brother? My brother who, 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 my, who I fought side by side with in the Bronx when we were getting jumped. My brother who my mom was split food with between me and him because she didn't have enough food to feed herself. How can I treat these people? Like, it was like I was busy. I got disgusted with what I saw. And, and I remember after I got out of, the, out of the wilderness and came back to that, I can't remember the name of the building where we were living in Kodiak, but I just made a decision. I said, you know, when I get back home, I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to apologize to every single person and I'm going to fix my life. Wow. And uh, uh, t- two weeks after I had this epiphany and my girlfriend doesn't know what's going on, she goes to this party. And when she's at this party, she meets this woman who's married to a teen guy. And this woman says to her, I hear that you're dating a guy who's in the teens. And she was like, yeah. And, 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 and the woman said, you, you're, you're such a good girl. You don't need to be with a guy like, like him if you're not happy right now. Wow. You need to, because teen, they're gone all. I mean, she gives, him the, she gives her the whole spill. Hold up, huh? <laughs> yeah. And for the first time in like two years, this girl, she finally had the strength to leave me. So that's what it took for her to leave me. But I didn't know this was going on. I'm, I'm over in Alaska. Like, I'm a change. So I remember I call her up. I uh, get a day because, you know, we don't have cell phones out there. And I got a day to get on a landline. And I called her and I called her up and she answered the phone. I said, hey, don't say nothing. Listen, I realize I've been a dirtbag to you. When I get back, 
I'm a proposal. Like I'm telling her my whole plans, and she's dead silent on the phone. Wow. And I'm just like, what's going on? Like, what, what's the deal? Like, like I thought, I thought we were gonna. And she was just like, I'm done with you. It's <laughs> over. I'm leaving. And huh. and when she said that, I was I felt like I was in a twilight zone. And after we got off the phone, I started trying even harder to fix myself. And the more I tried after I got off of that call, it was like the worse I got, the more angry I got, the more frustrated I got. And my brother was a Christian for a long period of time. And he told me years earlier, because I used to make fun of him for being a Christian. Uh, he said, Remy, when you hit rock bottom, just remember, just cry out to Jesus. When you've tried everything else and nothing's worked, just remember, cry out to Jesus. And I made fun of him for it. But in that mm-hmm. midst of trying to fix myself, nothing working and all of the other things that were, were going on and the guilt that I felt for the way I treated people in my life, you know, I, I tr- cried out to Jesus. And that was when I really began to see change in my life. And that's when I really began to to come into this different person. So so that that essentially, you know, I know I get through a lot at you guys, but that was that was um, the way it happened. And the crazy thing about that story is, is, is that that wife of that of the team guy, her husband, like a year later, ended up becoming my platoon chief. And, and it wasn't planned. Like, it wow. wasn't planned. Connections of all the dots and all of these. That, like, it wasn't planned. It was just like this random thing. So, um, so yeah. Wow. Remy, well, maybe it's the case, or, or, or if it's not, you. I read something you were talking about how in that experience you had up there in Kodiak, how part of that was you realized that the father that you had yearned to have, that paternal influence that you had were seeking for most of your entire life, you realized that this was, this, uh, God filled that role for you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Can you say a little more about that or why, you know, how important that paternal role was and why you were always trying to fill that and then how it finally was satisfied? What was different about uh, this discovery? Yeah, you know, uh, I truly believe that every, you know, every child needs a, needs a mother and needs a father. You know, they're, you know, every it's a man to teach him how to be a man and every girl needs a man. And, uh, as I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that. So I searched for it. But when I finally, what, what was different when I came to God was I had, you know, I had, I had the Bible in a sense to guide me, you know, as, as, you know, from, you know, certain scriptures that guide me, that guided me in biblical manhood, um, that helped me tremendously. Um, prayer, just feeling the presence of my heavenly father, and 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 hearing that voice even more clearly and knowing what it was when I was going right and that voice said, No, I want you to go left. Um, having that example in Jesus, you know, being able to read the gospels and see how Jesus was as a man, because Jesus was a man's man. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was a hard dude. Mm. When you look at the temp story and 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 the way he was, and this is this is what I talk about when I go to the, the Life of Valor conference with, with with Jeff. I talk about the the manhood of Jesus. Uh, on how he was a rough dude. I mean, he was a knuckle dragger, you know, the way media <laughs> and TV and even Christians portray Jesus sometimes. They portray him as this weak, androgynous, timid, floating on a cloud, timid. Pr- and that's not, that's not <laughs> the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Knuckle draggers. I mean, he went to the temple and he, he chased. When you read the temple story, you'll notice that it says that Jesus by himself chased out more than 30 men out of the temple. Nobody helped him. So when I begin to see Jesus and, and how he lived as a man, that's what began to fill my void, uh, that paternal void, because I was now able to have an example that I could connect with. Uh, hopefully that answers your question. No, no that, you absolutely did. It's, it's that it sounds like it was the guidance and the role model 
that that you yeah. really were lacking someone to to look to for that. Absolutely. I, I love. I want. I want to just continue on with that because that's a great. That's a great vision for people to imagine, right? Is these transitions that happen to us, but yet once the transitions begin, we still need the instructors, right? We still need the influences. Much less you came off the streets and you went into SEAL training. We had those instructors. Same for me. I know Marcus says talks about it similarly. But can you tell us who were the instructors now that you were going to be a warrior for Christ? Who were those people that came into your life to show you how to wage war from a spiritual perspective? Oh, there's a lot of people. I mean, Jeff Bramson is one. I mean, his, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been pivotal in my life. Uh, you know, as a father, as a husband, uh, you know, and, you know, the opportunities he's given me to speak on, to share the gospel at massive platforms has helped me too. But he's, he's been, he's been a huge instrument in my life. He was a team guy, retired, retired senior chief. I think he did 23, 24 years. Um, he, he mentored me, uh, uh, while we were deployed. And as a matter of fact, he he discipled me and taught me, really taught me scriptures were uh and, and and to this day i speak to him all the time you know he's always teaching me he's hey hey are you loving your wife are you how are you with your kids i mean he's always holding me accountable and teaching me different things and then he's another team guy there's a lot of team guys who i was able to build relationships guys who are christian guys who are not christian who are, to this day they're they they play pivotal roles in my life um and holding me accountable and and and, and teaching me how to how to fight spiritually and, and guiding me wow let me, right. i just want to expand on that a little bit more and there's something there's a quote here that you had said uh, i've always felt i've needed to be the one to make things happen in my life it's hard for me to trust people or to trust something outside of me now yeah. you just mentioned those guys you obviously trusted yeah. them you know you took on yeah. board what they were putting out what was different I mean, how did you form those relationships uh, now in faith, whereas prior to that, you had not found anyone, apparently, that you would trust at that level? What was different about those guys? What were they doing specifically that opened you up to that? Just, just the brotherhood, for the most part. It just goes back to the brotherhood, you know, just, just knowing that they, these are guys who I've gone to war with, who I've deployed with, you know, most of these guys. These are guys who, you know— okay who I went through buds with. These are guys who, you know, we went through the fire together. And so, and so that's, that, that's what it was for me. Like to them, when it comes to team guys, it's an instantaneous trust, unless you do something to break my trust. Um, because I know that you come from the same background as I come from, you have the same, you know, moral standard for the most part as I do. Um, so that's why it was easy for me with those guys. Uh, even before, even before I came to faith, but anybody else it's really hard for me to, to trust is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. It takes time for me to be, you have to earn my trust. Whereas team guys, you automatically have my trust. Well, we're all baptized by the same water and the same fire, right? Come Amen. Back. You know what I mean? Well, and, uh, we call, most guys don't like to admit to it, except for the guys in our community. I mean, we obviously tell everybody that we migrate to, I call them pillars, right? Those guys in our life that you kind of bump into and you don't know why you know, people are like, why do you hang out with them? I don't know, man. I don't know why. <laughs> right. Cause it's the thing with looks or anything like that. And, and in the beginning, it doesn't have anything to do with faith. You probably don't even know that, right? There's, no. some, there's some other reason completely. And then as you, the more time you spend together, then you get in that situation where, 
you know how it is, man. We we go through levels, and then at the bottom level, when we're in it, like when we get activated, you know, the next level is death, right? When we're playing hard yep. in, the, in in the box, yeah. that's it. So that's why that comes up all the time. Absolutely. By design, we, like I said, they rip everything we are away from us, and we and then when we walk out of there, that's why we use, we watch so many movies. We we get it. That's our identity, right? Movie quotes and crazy lines and. And that's what people who don't, who aren't in the community, but pretend to be inside the military, they don't miss the hidden language, right? The little quips and quotes and places that people, where you can literally have a conversation with each other for hours and an outsider wouldn't have any idea what's going on. And then the more you, <laughs> the more you go through and more you, you see, cause it's stripped away from us. It's that, it's that instinct, that sixth sense. That's what we've developed. That's what gets bred out of us as we, us. the more social we get. Absolutely. That's it. Well, it's funny, Marcus and I, we, we mm-hmm. talk about this a lot. You know, we talk about, you know, we, we had to walk the path, right? We walked a certain path and, and then the path, that path was done. And in the next aspect of our lives, which is even a more profound path, because now we're carrying much heavier responsibilities of influence, right? It's easy to point a gun at a person and force them to do what you want, yeah. but it's hard yeah. to throw a, a, a piece of a faith or a piece of positivity or whatever, however you'd want to describe it at as a person and, and, and really become good at wielding that weapon, right? Well, and, it's and, a complete, it's a homeostasis. Think about it, the yin and yang, every religion, it's always the love of the opposite, the spin, right? Yeah. So if we've literally walked on that, on that first side, as long as we did, and now on this side, that's, that's that feeling, right? That's how you know you're completed. Yeah, I have the ability to do that, but now I have the, yeah. the, it was discipline in that area, I think, right? And then that's when the patience and the perspective comes on. And you're like, yep, you know what? I absolutely could go back to that, but I figured out a way to get it. We could talk through this, and it's just a level of calm and peace that comes in with love. I mean, it's love. And and how are you going (laughs) to wield the weapon of love? So my question, Remy, you know, we we laugh. You talk about the— Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I, 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 I was fishing out I, in my head. I, I, I got you. Sure I was going okay. <laughs> so Remy, you know, we, we, you, you know, you come from this brotherhood of, of warriors, man, where guns are the weapons we use. But now, man, you're out in a whole nother world. I, I watched, you know, I paid attention to your trip to Africa. I, 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 you know, you're out there. You're, you're in now making movies. Your, 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 your exposure's growing. What, what is your main objective now? What is your mission in life now? Wow, that's a big one. Uh, I would say. And uh, this might sound cheesy, but just using my platform to inspire people, I think that's and, and, and whatever that platform may look like. So, um, you know, whether it's through writing, whether it's through storytelling, working on film, whether it's through uh, speaking, uh, it's just using whatever platform that's in front of me at the moment to, to bring inspiration, to bring truth. Uh, uh, to bring the reality that there is a way when it seems like there is no way to get people to stop feeling sorry for themselves and saying, well, I can't accomplish this because of the way I, way I grew up because of this background or that is just motivating and inspiring people. That's that's my main objective. But 
but yeah, I have a, a few, and I have a, I've been blessed with a few avenues to be able to do that. I work part time with an organization called Operation Underground Railroad, where we go into <laughs> bad situations to rescue kids who are trapped in human and sex slavery. You guys know Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard. You guys have had him on before. Yeah, yeah. amen um, to you on that, Remy. Funny when we, get uh, out, we all find the same fraternities uh, yeah. to poke around in. He's <laughs> Tim, Tim is one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life by far. Yeah, he's a solid dude, man. Solid dude. And so I, you know, I do that. And then obviously my book, um, uh, my mom, when we were kids, she knew how bad the public school system was in the Bronx. So, so she was a teacher and she would make my brother and I write long reports when we were a kid and we hated it, dude. We hated it so much, but what that kind of gave me was <laughs> gave me the principle principle. So, um, so I've been writing for, 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 man, for like 20, 25 years. So I wrote my book obviously, and that's going to be coming out. I didn't, I didn't uh, have a co-writer or anything. Wow. And then, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing a film as well now and, and, and just, you know, I, I write other stuff in my off time. I'm into poetry and other things like that. But, um, but that's, that's the samurai, happened. right? Yeah. The sword. Then Brother, you do that. Dude. I'm a, I, I didn't do the poetry. I'm not that clever. But, uh, so I'm definitely doing the, the gardening thing. I got the gardening thing down. That's right, man. Uh, that's, that's, that's the type of poetry. <laughs> yeah, it is. Exactly. Yeah, it is. We're on that topic. What is I Am Second? Uh, I Am Second is a, 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 a media ministry where uh, people share their stories. They share their stories as, as to why they are second in life. They're, they're stories that are told in a very raw way. Um, they're not preaching in any way. It's just, you know, whether it was drug abuse, whether it was alcoholism, whether it was fatherlessness, whatever the topic is, is just sharing it in a raw and authentic way. And they're talking about how Christ came into their life towards the end and how he made he was an X factor and in, in, in them getting over whatever struggle that they face. It's uh, I've worked. I am second since 2010 uh, while I was still in and they're an awesome uh, media ministry. Well, yeah, quite that, an, it's an interesting bank of videos he has on there that people from a wide variety of backgrounds and well, the high first, quality stuff yeah. in those stores. It's, it's impressive. It's the nice first, oh, the yeah. first one I yeah, ever like saw slam, was slam poetry. Uh, no, it's about people telling yeah. they're, they're coming to Christ. Like Willie's dad's on there. That was the first giant one. That really got exposure. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was incredible. And no, I've I've been a fan of of them for since I first saw you know um, Willie's dad on there. I mean, that was massive for me. So I loved your your video on there. I recommend everybody who listens to this goes there and watches it. It's it's really amazing. All right, let's shift a little bit. We always like to kind of wrap up with um, the fact that you know we want our listeners to take something away, right? To have some tangible something uh, when, you know, they, they, when this podcast ends that they can say, Remy said to do this. So what is something or a couple of things that you think about that are essential in people's daily fights? Yeah. Well, one, I would say, uh, uh, I would look at failure um, and, and just reflect on my life. I've had so many setbacks and, and failures in my life. Um, I went through buds twice. I got dropped in second phase the first time I was in buds and went to the fleet and came back. And, um, you know, I've, when, when you look at my family life and all of these other different things, I've, I've had a lot of setbacks. But what I take from that is that, you know, a failure is not a failure if you learn from it. If you learn from it, it's a lesson. And so I think that one of the reasons why I am successful in the areas that I am now is because I've, I've learned how to take all of my failures 
and even catalog my failures that I still have to this day and just figure out a way to kind of turn those failures into lessons. Wow. Um, I, had a, I had a recent failure on set um, Friday and it sucked. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, it sucked. It was a kick in the nuts and I, and I beat myself up, for, uh, up, up about it for 24 hours. You know, after that, I, I took notes, mental notes, and I was like, that will never, ever, ever, ever happen again, ever in my life. What happened, um, Roman? And so that's something I tell people. What happened? I won't go into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's that kind of lesson. All right. <laughs> if the scene makes it in the movie, then I'll tell you, then I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> awesome. All right, all right. Man, I've been explaining it like that, too. Basically, when we graduate out of school, well, there are no written exams anymore, right? The, the written exams are the hard times we run into in life. And if you Pain. fail that test, the greatest part about it is just what you said, man. If, well, did you learn the lesson? So if you did, then you didn't fail the test because it's not graded like that in life, just in school kind of deal. So it's, it's not a, the hard times are the tests, the written exams you used to take in high school, man. Just stand by because it makes you pay attention or let you know yeah. if you were paying attention during the good times when you were supposed to be, right? And if you're not, they'll strap a hard time on you just Absolutely. to make sure you go back and, and really pay attention. Absolutely. All right. All right. So learn from the lessons. Now, can you please tell our, our listeners where they can, when the book is coming out, where they can go to pre-order it, uh, and then where they can follow you on social media, your website, and then what, what you got in the future? Yeah, so uh, uh, the book comes out January 22nd, uh, 2019. I'm still dealing with the DOD approving it, <laughs> which is crazy because I turned it in in May. But, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, you can go to transformstory.com. Uh, that's the website for the book. Uh, and, and that's where you can pre-order as well. We're going to be releasing exclusive video content starting November 6th for the book, if you pre-order, and for those who don't pre-order. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. The title is Transformed. Um, and then uh, I can be found on all social media platforms from Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Remy Adeleke, R-E-M-I, and then Adeleke, A-D-E-L-E-K-E. You could Rewind this and play this slow motion if you want to get the proper spelling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just keeping busy. I'm working on a film right now here in Italy, as, as you guys know. It's a, it's a Michael Bay film, great project. Um, working with some great people out here. Um, uh, I'm, I'm writing a film that uh, I'm in. I'm talking to different production companies now and, and, and about, you know, option and rights to my screenplay. It's a fiction film. Um, and then, yeah, man, just I got a kingdom, a kingdom men event that's going to be coming up and a bunch of other men, men events and stuff that I'll be doing with Life of Valor. So. So, yeah, those are, those are some of the few media things on the top of my head that I can think of. <laughs> that was oh, awesome. Epic story. I mean, it's just like we were talking about earlier. It's a coming to America, Bronx Tale, Navy SEAL movie. Yeah. I mean, you. What what I want to say to you is, is, you know, one of the great fears and the stuff that I still deal with is, is just the fear of, uh, of my, my, how strong is my faith and, and, and taking the platforms that I do have that I, you know, whether it's speaking or this show or whatever, and, and making sure my faith is up front and center with it and watching you and what you do, Remy, you're a real inspiration to me. Uh, and I'm just so proud that you're, I can, you know, I can wear a trident next to you because you are, uh, a, certainly a special human being and a true warrior wow. of Christ. And I uh, just want to thank you for that as well as coming on the show. 
Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Marcus. Appreciate you. Thank you, Wizard. It's been all it's been a blessing. I appreciate what you guys do and how you guys are using this platform to to just, you know, breed inspiration and, and pass it on because you know, it's as you guys know, we're, we're living in, in, in some divisive times, and a lot of people are feeling down. So, to be able to get the messages from you guys and, uh, sure. and, and bless the bless the people is powerful. It's Amen. Deep. So, it's been an honor talking to you. Yeah, yeah, it's been an honor. God bless you, Remy, and good luck on the film. And uh, when uh, in the future, you. when your book's an international bestseller and you win an Academy <laughs> Award, we want to have you back on. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. All right, my brothers. Appreciate you guys. Right, God, bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. I'm Marcus Wizard. David. Take care. Bye. Marcus, that dude is exceptional, man. I'm telling you what, when you hear his story, and I love the way you referenced it, in the series of a movies, right? It is all right. Yeah, yeah. Coming to America, The Bronx Tale. Uh, you know, I mean, he just Navy, Navy Seals. Seals. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love that, but he's the real deal. I mean, I, I just can't get over the fact, you know, one, the the how few young kids make it out of that that lifestyle, right? Then two, you know, not only how few people make it through the SEAL teams, and you combine those two statistical challenges, mm-hmm. and what you have with Remy is a perpetual outlier, right? Now, in my mind, because of his faith, you add that on top of it, and this guy is walking a plane of existence that is is transcendental in every way. We kept saying that, unique that, animal. That, that part was when he was moving out that, that it, it nagged on him because he was quitting. Well, growing up and quitting are two different things. Totally. You, you grow out of something. Good on you for recognizing that and saying this time. And, and it's th- those markers that keep throwing your face like you're getting in trouble in certain areas. It's like, man, this is all I got in this area is just finding trouble. I need to go find something somewhere else. And in that world, I mean, you, you know, it is depending. Grow up in the country, go in the city. It's all it can, it can. Both of those can encapsulate you and keep you home all the time. Right. Keep you running on that in the kind of in that one line. And if. It just takes that one second. To think to yourself. I mean, if anybody, everybody else had a chance to go out and do it, and there's people that I think have it harder than me that have gone out and done good things just by mm-hmm. switching gears and switching directions. And that's all it is. It's just taking that one step, go in that direction, see what happens. Worst case scenario, you come back where you came from, it, right? We got to lose. Well, I love the comment that you know you and he both made, and I like the sense of the root. Right. And I think that's where Remy really is coming from. What what were his roots? What were his and that's what his mom kept saying to him. Yeah, Do you great. know who your father was? Yeah, Do you great. know who he was, what he was? Mm-hmm. You need to become that type of man. And and I gotta tell you, you know, I, I, I again, like in Andy Stump or who or any one of these other people, you know, Chris Cassidy, you know, we have these people that you, you 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 hear their pursuit of of excellence and you're like my god that's impressive and makes me want to do more remy's one of those guys 
from the severe on, on <laughs> most every part of his life. Right. And shifted to and shift and been successful and shifted into something else. That was one of them guys you want to follow around. <laughs> totally. And I and I think with the with the advancement of his book, Transformed, and I, I highly recommend everybody get that. It's gonna be a phenomenal book, I bet. Uh you know, you're gonna see his presence and his influence really expand. And what I'd love to see him do is to go back to the inner city, to go back to the Bronx. Right. And really dig into that community and and start a ministry there of sorts. Right. Teaching these young men how to be men, how to have the confidence and 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 conviction to quit on that lifestyle and and to start their pathway towards salvation, too. Well, and in simply being that role model that he himself spent so much of his life looking for, he really well, he's doing that. And. Like you just said, he's involved in Life of Valor, which is the the faith organization that goes out there and and acts as a sort of a guidepost as a as a role model for youth coming up. So he he is involved in in that to a to a degree there. Yeah, sure. he, him and Bramstead, Jeff Bramstead. If you if you want to learn more about it, go ahead and visit their website. Just type in Life of Valor. Uh, Navy SEALs that they'll both come out. They've got some great videos. They just had a big, huge event out there uh, where they were in a giant stadium and had some wonderful men contribute to that and that effort. I, I highly recommend you check that out. Well, listen, man, if this is your first show, wow. I mean, that was a big you, one. you want to talk never quit. I mean, Remy is is the epitome of that. and And we're just so happy that You've joined us. You found us. Welcome to the team. If you're coming back for more and and you can't get enough, thank you for all of your support. Marcus Wizard and I, we are internally in your debt for the support that you give us on a regular basis uh, because the show just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Heck, man, we we've almost doubled in size over the past couple months. We have doubled. We have doubled in size. Mm. We're closing in on seven million downloads, and we're getting ready to really just make this thing explode around the country. And because it is our mission, and we have a, a, a true belief that everybody has some type of never-quit mentality inside them. They've all experienced some type of never-quit story. And, you know, we just feel that, you know, it's it's our job, it's our calling to bring these great stories to the American public and, hell, and to the world public, baby. So if you want to know more about us and our midget, please visit us at tnqpodcast.com. That's our website where you can go and check out, you know, Hundreds of never quit stories from our team, uh, never, never quit community that have contributed there who have written in their stories. And if you feel courage, we'd love it if you shared your story or the story of your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, a friend. We don't care. Please share the stories. And if they're awesome, uh, we'll read them on at the end of the show. And if they're incredible, Marcus coming on, we will bring you on. We've actually brought. Three people on uh, the show from the stories they've written. And hell, we had one story where the sun wrote in and, and we had them come on. Jeff Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, unbelievable Just recently. story recently. Uh, and so that's what will happen. 
if you want to follow us, you can follow us, all three of us. Uh, you can follow Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, me at Team Frog Logic, and Wizard at the Wizard TNQ. Uh, where I love the posts you keep doing, brother. I hope I hope you keep those up and <laughs> as random as bizarre there. as they are, but I think you know <laughs> they're awesome. Um, but we do have uh, a listener uh, write-in story to end the show today. So what do you say, boys? All right, this is from Gilvy. My father was sick my entire childhood, and this is his never quit story. My father was born the third child of your cliche baby boom era family in the 1950s. You could say growing up in your typical lower class family in the Midwest in the 60s is more than enough to earn the spot of a person's greatest never quit story. Unfortunately, his story takes us to 1994, a year before I was born and only 11 years after he had lost his father to the same deadly disease he was about to find out was now to take hold of his body. Lung cancer is one of the most deadly types of cancer there is, and he now had to start the long process of overcoming it. He was given six months to live, and his doctor had given him the advice of finding a comfortable bar stool and an endless bottle. But my father was determined that this was not how he would go out. Without being said, the first thought was operation, and so he went from a person with two lungs to a person with one and was now physically disabled for the rest of his life. The story wasn't getting darker at this point, though, and after he had achieved remission, my mother and he decided it was time to bring me into this world. Coincidentally, the day my mother found out she was pregnant with me was the day my father found out that the cancer had returned for a second time in the so-called healthy lung that remained. At this point, it was time to go after the disease for a second time, with even more on the line. The chemo and radiation treatments were started right away, and once again the battle was won with the cancer going back into remission. I was born on Septem- in September of 1995, in the, middle of the sec- in the middle of the second cancer, and so from the time of my birth, all I had ever known was him being sick. Tragedy struck yet again in 1996 when the cancer returned for the third time in the one lung he had left. This resulted in another surgery, which left him with one-third of a lung when only two years prior he had two healthy ones. He was told he would have maybe one to four years left and that he would not be able to exercise and that he would have to live now with supplemental oxygen for the rest of his life. Much to the surprise of his doctors and his family, He lived on for another 13 years by not giving up and fighting day by day to stay alive, not only for the 11-year-old boy he had in his life, but also his loving wife who had been with him through this entire process. He passed away in February of 2007. I see this story as my father's greatest never-quit story because he fought through Not only one or two, but three different lung cancers to stay here for his family 13 years longer than expected. He trained himself to breathe without supplemental oxygen, was able to walk short distances, 
and was not confined to a wheelchair in order to get from place to place. He always said through all the darkness came the greatest thing in his life when I was born. His doctors and nurses called me his miracle baby. This man was my hero and the greatest warrior I had ever known. He was the most loving and caring father I think anyone could ever have. I only knew him for the first 11 years of my life, but those were so important. They have sculpted me into the man I am today, and I truly believe that he is always with me. I know his story is very sad to most people that hear it, and most people say I was robbed of a childhood because of his health. In all honesty, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yes, I may not have been able to have the cliché, let's go play catch out in the front yard, father-son relationship, but what I did have was a very, very, very loving father and a person who really understood how valuable life is. I saw his never-quit story happen, and even though he isn't here to tell it himself, I know he never quit all the way to the end. Listening to your podcast, I've heard many inspiring stories. I've wanted to tell you his and figured it was time. Thank you for everything all three of you have done. And please, please, please never let this podcast fade away because it's truly a diamond in the rough. God bless you guys. Gilvy, brother. God bless your father. Right. I mean, what a Mm -hmm. powerful impact that he had on a time in you, which was probably the most important, your child development years. And I can only imagine not being able to understand it while you were going through it, but my brother, the way you shared that story was about as perfect as perfect could be. And your father's an inspiration to all those people out there who are struggling with any type of cancer, much less me as just a father of of four right now and really inspiring me to make the most of of every minute I have with them. So thank you, sir, for writing in. I also want to thank Remy because, brother, you are a total inspiration to me. What you're doing in your life is powerful. I know you're walking with God. I know you're walking that apostolic way. I know you're the, a truth seeker. And I know you're determined to have a profound impact, not only on your three sons, but also all that, those you come in contact with. Thank you, God. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Jonna. I want to thank my family. I, I want to thank my father, Charlie. Man, what a powerful impact you've had on my life and in what I do for a living trying to help people. Uh, so thank you, sir. And thank you, gents. Uh, I just can't thank you enough for being able to do this with you. I mean, this is really a, 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 the greatest blessing I think I've ever had in my life. So thanks. Yeah, man. I got well, he was a good example of what a good father's hanging in there and to the very end. Also, it's a prime example of what you should do every day of your life. Because as you grow up, man, you're going to hit those hard times. It may not be a sickness like your dad had, but he definitely taught you that no matter how bad it is, even if you down to two two lobes in a lung. One third. Right? 
push forward. So remember that. Then when it's time for you to be a dad, you pass that down. Make sure that's that's something valuable that he gave you uh, through his sacrifice. And um, to everybody keeps bringing us back, I, I don't have the words to thank you enough. You guys are amazing. Wife, thanks for letting us do it. <laughs> <laughs> and to the good Lord upstairs, keep bringing us back together and letting us do this, man. And you guys uh, keep coming back, and then we'll, we'll keep talking. So I'm out. Out.